The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 92. Hi, I'm David Niven, author of It's Not About the Shark, How to Solve Unsolvable Problems. One great tool for problem solving is podcasts like this one. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my good friend, Jeff Brown. Every company's got the same number of really great people, mediocre people, and terrible people. And the moment we think we're smarter than the other company, the competitors, we're going to lose. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where each week we sit down with a successful and inspiring author and we discuss his or her latest book and insights into areas like leadership, personal development, productivity, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. In today's episode, you and I get to sit down with Chuck Bamford, author of The Strategy Mindset. I've dug into the book for you, and I plan to ask Chuck about things like the four keys executives can use to gain a strategic grasp on their environment, defining your perfect customer and the issues to be aware of when the need to branch out inevitably arises, The five simple tests your company's resources or capabilities must pass in order for them to be a true competitive advantage for you and a lot more. If you've yet to join the private Read to Lead Facebook group, you still can. If you're in the United States, you can text the phrase Read to Lead, all one word, to 33444. Do that right from your mobile device, and I'll be sure you get an invitation into the group. If you're outside the United States, you can visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash group. I am happy to say that this episode of the Read to Lead podcast is supported by SoFi. They're a leading marketplace lender where you could save thousands when you refinance your federal and private student loans at lower rates. As a Read to Lead listener, you can take advantage of their special $200 welcome bonus when you refinance those student loans. Just go to SOFI.com slash Read to Lead to find your rate online right now. Dr. Chuck Bamford is the managing partner of Bamford Associates, a firm focused on developing practical strategic plans and working with companies to implement those plans throughout the organization. He spent 12 years in industry before earning his Ph.D., And for the last 20 years, he's taught strategy and entrepreneurship at the undergraduate, graduate, and executive levels, having won numerous excellence in teaching awards along the way. He is the author of five textbooks in both strategy and entrepreneurship, and his research studies have appeared in the top journals of both fields. His latest book, and the one we're going to be talking about today, is called The Strategy Mindset. Chuck, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. 
Jeff, thanks very much. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I found it to be a very quick, uh, easy read, just a, a nice, short, concise 115 pages. I think more business books need to follow that rule, frankly. <laughs> uh, and if you've ever felt like you and your company struggle with strategy, there is good news because you're not alone, according to Chuck. He says businesses are, in fact, terrible at strategy. So why do so many businesses, Chuck, struggle with this? funny it, it's uh, everyone uses the word strategy and every time you talk to somebody they can tell you what they think their strategy is unfortunately it's almost always tactics it's almost always what are we going to do for the next step what do we think will work and it's 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 much like throwing things up against the wall or they'll <laughs> use one of those sort of popular press kind of approaches and hope that it, it works out and so in the end most companies just don't really understand what strategy is. And once they do, they can do it very well. But, but it's, it's, never, it, it's rarely taught correctly, and the, especially for the folks who have been in business for a long time, it, it's not something that was ever part of what they learned when they were in, in, in universities. I once had a leader say to me, and this is kind of how it, it, it stuck for me. Tell me if you think this is an accurate assessment. He said that tactics are doing things right. Strategy is doing the right things. In other words, you can do things right all day long, but if they're not the right things, then you're up a creek. I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. Well, there are a number of longtime uh, strategy myths that, that Chuck talks about. Uh, what are some, I think there's seven in the book and all. What are some of the more common ones, Chuck? And so this is usually the point where I, I, either, I either frustrate people and they walk away or they love it. So you get sort of a, there, there are a whole series of sort of classic strategy myths. So let, let, let us go down a couple of them. Um, one is that SWAT is strategy. Mm. So most business people have dealt with SWAT, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats was popped out by my Michael Porter back in the 70s as a, as a framework to use and is brilliant as a framework. It's terrible as an analysis tool. Mm. So, you know, you typically see people do SWAT by putting groups together and they've got post-it notes all over the place and it's whatever they think a strength is or a weakness is and they modify it and then, oh my gosh, they've got a strategy. And <laughs> the problem is that there's, there's no analysis whatsoever. So they have no idea whether it's really a strength or really a weakness. So the question is, do we really want to know our strengths? And the answer is yes, of course, but we've got to have some tool. There's got to be some approach that really is validated in the research and is really well used to figure out what those strengths are. Exact same thing with the weaknesses and with opportunities and threats. And so I'll, I'll tell you a fast story about SWAT and I'll, and I'll let this one go. Mm. But back when my then my now 29-year-old son was in third grade. I asked him to do a SWOT analysis of his third grade class. So he did it. It took me about three minutes to teach him how to do it. And I went to his teacher and asked her to do the same. I went to the principal and asked her to do the same. And stunningly, none of them aligned. <laughs> so my son's number one strength in third grade class was recess. <laughs> and his second one, of course, was? Lunch. Lunch, you got it exactly right, <laughs> without any prior prompting. And to him, that was it. And so when you went through, you go through the analysis, that the end, if we're going to go play this little game, then we might as well just hand it to the principal and say, just tell us what the strengths are. You could be dead wrong, but at least we'll know what they are and we can move forward because everyone has an opinion. By the way, just real quickly, my son accurately described his teacher as a strength, a weakness, 
an opportunity, and a threat. <laughs> and it was absolutely true. And so that's one of the classic problems is everything's a strength is also a weakness and vice versa. Mm. Another classic myth is that our people are our competitive advantage. So every company we go to work with, almost always they'll say, our people are our strength, Chuck. And I, 20 years ago when I started working with companies on this stuff, I used to laugh but then I found, Jeff, they don't have a real humor about this. And so <laughs> I, I, I asked CEOs, I say, I say, so if I went to your competitor and I asked them what their competitive strengths, would they say something like, well, Chuck, we really wish it could be our people, but unfortunately all the good ones are over there. So all we got <laughs> left is schlock and is no, they think it's their people. Mm. So every company's got the same number of really great people, mediocre people and terrible people. And the moment we think we're smarter than the other company, the competitors, we're going to lose. Mm. And I could go on. There are a whole slew of them that are, that are so much fun. Yeah, yeah. They, they, I enjoyed reading about them for sure, uh, especially lunch and recess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, share a bit about, Chuck, the, the four keys, you call them, that executives can use to gain a strategic grasp on their environment. And I think, Jeff, I think it's a great place to start. From my perspective, strategy starts external to the organization. Mm. You can't do strategy unless you really understand external. And external starts with the customer. So I'm not a marketing guy. I'm a strategy guy. But everything, everything depends on the customer who parts with money. So from my perspective, there are kind of four things that we've got to have a good handle on before we can start really digging into strategy of the organization. That is, who's the perfect customer? What are the switching costs for that customer to go from your company to your competitors and vice versa? How do we compare relative to those competitors? Um, hopefully on a series of dimensions we can, or a series of metrics we can compare ourselves. And finally, I ask every company to tell me every touch point you have with a customer because every touch point that we have with a customer is an opportunity for us to really focus our strategy. So we really try to get these four elements commonly understood by everybody before we can really move forward with strategy. Well, how do you define Chuck, the perfect customer and what are, what are some issues to be aware of when the need to branch out inevitably arises? Right, and, and, and we all know there's not enough perfect customers. Mm. So the perfect customer instantly gets your value proposition and is willing to pay you for it. So ideally, we'd have a company just focused on perfect customers, mm. and we wouldn't have to do anything else. But the reality is there's usually not enough. So we focus on the perfect customer, and as a management team, we have to decide how far away from the perfect customer we're going to pull the company in order to grow realizing that every time we do it and every move we make that pulls us away means that we have the potential to lose that perfect customer. And, and Jeff, you know, you don't want to lose the customer that instantly gets your value proposition and is willing to pay you for it. Well, next, Chuck says, comes the task of developing the comparative competitive set. Define for us, Chuck, what this means and, and describe what this looks like, if you would, when implemented. 
Sure. So if you know what your customer, you know what your customer is, who your customer is, you know fundamentally whom they're comparing you to. So it's not the entire industry. We're not being compared to an entire industry. We're being compared to whom the customer uses. Mm -hmm. So what I always refer to it as is the bump competitor. So the competitor that if we win, they lose or the ones that we lose and they win. And relatively quickly, companies can come up with whom they're losing business to or who they're winning business from relative to these, to these particular customers. And this is who we want to compare ourselves to. Customers don't compare a typical company to 400 different competitors. They relatively rapidly narrow it down to just four or five competitors. And that's what we want to use as all of our analysis and all of our comparisons. Mm. We don't need to be compared to everybody. We do need to be compared to whomever the customer is considering. So I, I have a radio background. So let me just kind of uh, play this out here. So for, for uh, someone like me who used to be in radio, that might be not all the stations in the market, but rather the radio stations playing many of the same songs, a similar format, in other words. Is, is, that, is that another way to put it? Absolutely. And you might even throw in some other kinds of comparisons where people could have listened to the music without having to use the radio station. Exactly. So it depends on how far you want to go with your analysis, but absolutely. Pandora, Spotify. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, talk a bit about the, the standard elements of doing business, Chuck, and, and, and why going beyond what is considered the median for your industry is, as you say, a waste of time and, and money. Yeah, and it, it really hurts companies. So if you, once we've understood the background, the industry, the perfect customer, we can dive inside the company. Mm. And every company, and, and you can think about it from the radio station perspective, every single radio station has what I consider to be kind of the table stakes, or, or in the lingo of the consulting world, we all call it the orthodox. Mm. And that is, these are the things that we have to do to be a player in the industry. They're the ones that people, people expect when they are dealing with your particular industry. So if you go into a bank, and I'll use a bank as an example, you go into a bank, you expect to see towers behind uh, some kind of a partition, and you expect to have a little table, and you expect deposit slips and withdrawal slips and pens that you know have little chains to them because <laughs> they apparently don't trust us. You expect all of these things in a branch, and if, and if you don't find these things, you'll not compare that branch. You'll go, ah, oh, it doesn't feel right, or it's not right, or it's frustrating. But the orthodox stuff, if it's orthodox, if it's table stakes, if it's the expectation of customers, then I tell everybody, you've got to do it. You have to do it well. You can't be bad at it. But you don't need to do it any better than anyone else because no customer is going to pay you more for it. Mm. If you decide to go with with extraordinary Persian rugs in your branch, customers aren't going to give you anything extra for it. If you decide to go with fancy pens, the customers aren't going to give you anything extra for it. <laughs> they expect this and it's table stakes. Mm. Speaking of not wanting to give extra, how about saving some money on things like student loans or mortgages? If you could do that, would you want to? And what if you got paid 
200 bucks just for signing up. Well, the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by a company called SoFi, a leading marketplace lender. They offer student loan refinancing, mortgages, and personal loans for busy, ambitious professionals, people just like you. Now, if you're carrying high student loan balances, you could save thousands when you refinance and consolidate your federal and private student loans at a lower rate. Now, SoFi borrowers save on average $14,000 over the life of their loans. No joke. Now, in addition to savings, SoFi members benefit from unemployment protection. So should you lose your job, SoFi pauses your payment and provides access to a career services team for personalized career planning and job search assistance. How cool is that? Well, to check out a full list of products and benefits, visit SOFI.com slash read to lead. They've, in fact, set up a special page just for listeners of this show. And for a limited time and as a listener to read to lead, you're eligible for a special $200 welcome bonus when you refinance your student loans with SoFi. Again, just go to SOFI.com slash read to lead for this special offer. All loans are made by the SoFi Lending Corps, NMLS number 1121636 and CFL license number 6054612. Well, Chuck and his group have modified uh, what we know as as resource-based analysis. That involves, in case you don't know, passing your your resources uh, or capabilities through a series of five simple tests. Now, passing all five means that that resource or capability is, is truly a competitive advantage for you. Now, rare is the first of the five. It, it sort of sounds obvious on the surface, Chuck. What does having a rare resource or capability look like? Yeah, good, good point. And it's the easiest of the five because it's usually where everyone stops. Um, let me just make a sort of general comment. Um, resource-based analysis is by far the number one approach used by uh, the Fortune 1000 corporations. It's been around for a while. It's called a variety of different things depending on the consulting company that wants to market it. I, hard, I'm a professor, so like you, I call it resource-based analysis. So, and we've modified it a little bit. We'll talk about that. But rare is just what it sounds like. That is, is it relatively unique compared to your comparison competitive set? Is the thing that you're talking about give you at least relatively unique? And we use a rule of thumb that if one other competitor is doing it just as well as you, it's still pretty unique. But if more than one is, then it's really orthodox and it's not rare and it's not unique. So this is where you can knock out things like, you know, my people are my competitive advantage. Oh, it's not rare. And it goes out the window. <laughs> well, the next test is durability. So, so define that for us in this context. And, and also, Chuck, the three aspects related to it that you say we, we need to consider. Right. So durability is fundamentally how long can I hold on to this cool competitive thing that passed rare? So if it passed rare, well, I want to know how long I can keep it. And it's all determined by the actions of your competitors. So the three elements are time, money, and desire. That is, how long would it take one of your competitors to match you on this cool thing that you think you have? How much money would it cost them? And the ancillary part of that is, do they have the financial resources to do it? And my favorite one is, do they even have the desire to match you? So often, they've got the money, they've got the time, but they don't have the desire to match you. I I used to tell one of my clients, my my favorite role is if our competitors think we're idiots, because then they won't try to match us, and we've got it for a while. (laughs) 
Well, if if our, our resource or capability has has passed these first two tests, Chuck says we move on to the third one, which is labeled relatively non-substitutable. Now, here the analysis, I think it's a, a little bit more subjective, in fact, significantly so. Is that correct? Oh, I could not agree more. It gets very subjective. And, and you know, as we know, Jeff, all of this is very subjective. I, I think strategy is at best 50-50, 50% art and 50% science. I think realistically it's probably more like 35% science and 65% art. But mm. there is a science to doing this. And so the third element is you look at substitutes. So this is one that people try to bypass an awful lot. It's rare and it's durable. They've been focused on their competitors and they're like, we got something here. And the question is, how are people handling this now? How are people satisfying this need or this desire now? What are the other ways that people do it? And those are substitutes. And quite honestly, you can decide whether it's a good substitute or a bad substitute. You could, instead of having Spotify as one of your competitors, it might have been purchasing songs off of iTunes as a substitute to mm. it. Is it a good substitute? Well, you got to buy an awful lot of songs. You can't have that <laughs> variety. It's a lot of money. Maybe not so much. And what I ask management teams is, you all are experts in your business. You all are the content experts. You tell me whether you think it's a good substitute or not. Be honest, talk about it, and if it's not a good substitute, let's move on. Mm. Well, relatively non-tradable is next. As I was reading about this, the first thing I thought of, the first thing that came to mind, Chuck, was was Coke's secret formula. And then, lo and behold, you mentioned it in the book. That's probably one of the best examples. Yeah, absolutely. So if you own it and control it, then it's non-tradable, you're gonna, you can move on. That is, you get to control it. The other place where it really is non-tradable is the exact opposite thinking, and that is where you're buying something from an external party. If they can sell it to your competitors, you're in trouble, and it's tradable. But if you've got an exclusive with them, then it's relatively non-tradable, and you've got something and you can keep moving on. And that brings us to the last test. It's the valuable test. And, and, and Chuck insists this test come last. But in the classic resource-based analysis approach, it's, it's often first. So, so what's significant, Chuck, about the change in the order between now and, say, what you were doing 20 years ago? Sure. Well, and, you know, if, if you read um, the work that's done by some of the big consulting groups or if you read any of the classic strategy textbooks, you'll see they call it VRIN or VRIST. They always start with value. Look, we have found in our research, and we've done this now with, with literally hundreds of companies and in our big research with thousands of companies, most things fail at rare. The next most fail at durable, and then you can go on down the line. I can't see a reason to grind executives through trying to calculate how they're going to get value from something if later it fails at rare. So we reversed the order of this thing. Let's get rid of the things that fail along the way before we really try to figure out how we're going to get value. And that is, of course, you know, can we charge more for it? Does it cost us less to do it? And do we draw in customers? Most of us refer to it as free customers, but they're not really free. But that is, do we draw customers away from our competitors? Will they drive past 
Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's to go to Starbucks. That's, that's real value. But there's no point in trying to grind com- companies through that when most things are going to fail at rare. So we've just done it to try to make it expedient and practical for businesses. That makes sense. Uh, pass the most difficult tests first and then move on to, to the others. Well, uh, believe it or not, as detailed as we've gotten here, we've only covered about the first five of 10 chapters of the book. I do have some questions I want to ask, Chuck, not directly related to the book. But before I do that, is there anything else you want to make sure we know about? Well, you know, I think my my take on strategy um, generally falls under or under the following kind of elements. I think it's all about fit alignment and consistency. And so the just you find just amazing research out there that says if you can get everybody moving in relatively the same direction, not every not the whole, you know, exactly, but relatively the same direction that we get some remarkable performance. And so from my perspective, an awful lot of strategy has to do with how we implement it, not so much on how we design it. We can make errors in design, but if we're really good about our consistency and our alignment and our fit, just can, they, companies just do remarkable stuff, Jeff. It, it's fun to watch. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, Chuck, I'll put you on the spot here for a second, if you can name for us a couple of books that you have read or maybe you're even currently reading, either way, that have had an impact on you and, and share how or why they, they've impacted you as they have. Sure. Well, as, as you know, I'm a, I'm a professor at the University of Notre Dame, mm. so I teach exec MBA primarily up there, and, and I'm always in this battle to stay ahead of my, uh, ahead of my uh, students. <laughs> so I try to read two business books a month, and mm-hmm. sometimes I go back and reread one. So um, right now, I will admit that I am reading American Icon for the second time, mm. um, the brilliant book by Bryce Hoffman where he, he – he follows, but more than that, he really analyzes and explains how Alan Mulally did um, just a remarkable job in strategy implementation at Ford um, back, you know, in from say '08 to '12. I, I just, I just love the book. And then, and because I'm coming up on my classes or getting ready to start again, um, I am rereading The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, yeah. um, he. Gosh, he just has just does such an, a remarkable job of taking hundreds of research articles, as you know, and con- pulling it down and pulling it together so that it's readable and easily understood. I just think he does a brilliant work. Well, you lecture, obviously, often. I, I would assume you do a fair amount of public speaking, uh, and I think it plays a, a major role in the level of a person's success, being able to do it effectively. So I'd, I'd be curious to know what some of your tips are, Chuck, for delivering an impactful and memorable public talk. I, I always hope to get infinitely better at this. I, I end up um, doing at least two speaking engagements a week, Here's how I take it. I don't know whether it's the right way or the wrong way. It's certainly what I do. My goal is by the time I'm finished that the audience walks away with something that they can actually use in business immediately. And I feel like if I don't do that, then I've wasted their time. So I try to do what I refer to as edutainment. And that is try to be funny and kind of keep them awake and keep them active. But I really want every single time for them to walk away with something that they can use immediately. And, and I, I cross my fingers and, and hope to keep getting better at this. 
Well, to those whose, whose lives you've touched, uh, your family, friends, colleagues, clients, your students, at the end of it all, how do you hope to be remembered, Chuck? You know, I, I, hope, I hope that they know that I care. Uh, you know, I, I think about this, especially with family and friends and um, my, I have my grandkids. I, I hope that they understand that I care and that it matters. But also at the end of the day, I, I want to make an impact. When the end of each year comes and the end of my life ends up coming, I really want to know that I made an impact and I made a difference. So I hope, I hope that's what, what, what happens as a legacy, Jeff. Well, what's next on the horizon for you, Chuck? What are you and your team working on now, maybe, that, uh, that's got you excited? Actually, great, great day to ask that question. We are working with um, a couple of uh, very large clients who have decided that they really want to make a difference in the way they approach strategy. So we've used it as a criteria for picking up clients that they really want to make a change and that they're ready to really um, take on all the sort of average things and put them aside and try to figure out what really differentiates them relative to their competitors. And so recently we've had several very big companies in the multi-billion dollar range ready to do this. We go in and they really are. So it's exciting to see it move from the kind of mid-range companies that are so agile and can do so much so fast and see some of these really big companies taking it on and saying, it's time to make a change. It's time to make a real difference. So we're, we're, we're very excited. Well, I can say from, from personal experience that over the years, I've had a chance to work with a number of teams and a number of companies that struggle with this, this concept of strategy. So I certainly appreciated being able to read a short, succinct analysis and, and a thorough one at that on the subject. So thank you for being our guest today. We really enjoyed having you. Thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed the conversation. The book, again, is called The Strategy Mindset. The author, our guest today, Dr. Chuck Bamford. I encourage you to connect with Chuck on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. I'll put links to both in the show notes page for today's episode. But in the meantime, you can find him on Twitter at Dr. Dr. Chuck Banford. That's at Dr. Chuck Banford, B-A-M-F-O-R-D on Twitter. In addition to those links to connect with Chuck, I'll add links to the other resources we talked about as well. You can find them all at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 092 for episode 92. If you happen to listen to the podcast on an Apple device using the built-in podcast app, one way to view the show notes page quickly and easily is just by tapping on the Read to Lead podcast logo. You can even tap the links inside the show notes right from the app. Rating and reviewing the podcast goes a long way for us. I cannot stress that enough. It helps the podcast get noticed. If you could take two minutes to rate and review it, we'd appreciate it. And if you feel it's five-star worthy, we'll mention you by name in a future episode just to say thanks. Visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher to do that right now. And last but not least, I want to give a shout out to my friend Drew Toddy, a host of the Exploring Mind and Body podcast at exploringmindandbody.com. I encourage you to check it out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes also. 
Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,